0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, my beloved, is the fourth week of the blessed month of Tuba, which is the first month or right after the uh, Feast of Nativity. Um, And the church reads for us today uh, the familiar passage of the man who was born blind. How many times in the calendar years do we read this passage? On Sunday. Three. Three. The great fast in today. Okay the great fast is the fast the the last sunday before um, palm sunday which is the uh had al istinara or the week of enlightenment um, and it's focused during the uh, great lent of course is repentance as the theme of the, all of great lent is uh, or the great fast is repentance the the theme of the month of tuba is about baptism uh so just as baptism is a way of enlightenment or christian enlightenment they the church puts it here for us during uh this month. Um just to review really quickly what the months of Tuba what they what they were. Uh the first week we read about the acceptance of the gentiles. Of course this is all after the nativity. So after the incarnation of the Lord there was a message that needs to be sent to us in the church. The first is that Christ came for everyone, Jews and gentiles, everyone. The second week was um the reading of the people of Nineveh how like uh, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Uh, the people of Nineveh, and they honored the uh, and the queen of the south came to hear Solomon, uh, and all of this. So the theme of this one is the hearing of the word of God. So now that we understand, okay, the the word came for everyone, and everyone needs to hear the word of God and repent, as the people of Nineveh. Then last week was about you know he who believes has life, as we said uh, they said in the last part, uh, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe does. Uh, Believe the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. So this stresses the importance of the believing part, the faith after we hear the word. And then today, it was the man who was born blind. I was blind, and now I see. Um, and actually, the 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 Psalm introduction for the gospel today was from Psalm 35, and it says, "In your light we see light. In your light we see light." And it's very evident from the story to apply this verse because Christ came, the man was blind, and he came and gave him his eyes back and through the eyesight that he received, the vision that he was given, he was able to see the Lord Jesus and to believe in Him. So he can say with the psalmist, in your light we see light. However, if we look at the beginning of this man's life, we see a progression, a journey that he took throughout You know, this period. And it's similar to the journey that we take in our life as well. So I'll speak really quickly about this journey of enlightenment from darkness into light, right? And this is all of our journey, okay? And it's important that we kind of see where we are on this progression, on these different steps, and see how we can uh, look forward to the next step. Uh, The first step was to realize that we are blind. You know, the blind man, he was sitting there and he was begging, and he knew that he was blind. And this is the condition of every human being who's born into the world. We're born into the world, and we, uh, we inherit this corrupt nature, right, that has a propens- propensity for sin. It leans towards sin. And because of this, we're alien from God's holiness. We're alien for God's holiness. That's why we can't commune with God, because we are, we are sin, and God is holy. So we need Him to make us holy, to be able to commune with Him again. This is why we pray in the litany of the departed. For no one is pure and without blemish, even though his life be a single day. So even the child who is born, because they are born of corrupt humanity, they still need salvation and they still are not pure. In uh, Romans chapter 3, St. Paul says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. So this, at the end of the day, this is our beginning point. And unless really we begin here, regardless of where we think we are in our spiritual life, unless we begin here and understand that I am blind, and I am weak, and I am a sinner, we have nowhere to go. Just as at the end of this passage, when the Pharisees he asked him, you know, they said to him, well, we see. And he says, because you say you see, your sin remains and you're still in darkness. So the beginning is what? That I recognize that I'm a sinner, I am blind. And this is where we need to begin. I am a sinner and I need him to heal me from my blindness and my darkness. Those who are familiar with like the any type of uh, addiction therapy, like Alcoholics Anonymous and so on, The first step is to acknowledge that you have a problem. The second step is even more important to acknowledge that the solution has to come outside of me. I can't be the one to solve it. I have to understand that I'm a sinner and I need help and I have an addiction and I need somebody to come and help. I can't do it by myself. This is the first step to recognize that we are blind. The second step is this kind of first encounter where we first meet the light. Or the life giver. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Of course, the, the man couldn't perceive Christ, nor could he know who's passing by. So the Lord went to him, and then he's the one who initiated the whole thing. The man didn't say anything. We just see the disciples and the Lord have this exchange about why this man is blind. Then the Lord spat on the ground, made clay, and anointed his eyes. Uh, and he told them to go and wash and his eyes were open. And when his eyes were opened, after this first encounter with the Lord, did he see everything clearly? He perhaps maybe saw with his physical eyes the people around him, and he could recognize everyone. But did he understand everything? No. So this is similar to what happens in baptism. And it's actually like a newborn baby. You know a newborn baby, when they're first born, they open their eyes. Do they see anything? No, they actually don't see anything. They see shadows in the beginning, and only with time do these shadows become now more, uh, more definition, and they begin to recognize people and faces. But in the beginning, they only recognize mom from the touch and her voice, the sound of her voice that he was familiar or she was familiar with while in the womb, right? So the same kind of thing in baptism when we are uh, go into the baptismal font and come out we're given these spiritual eyes with the ability and the capacity to perceive spiritual things. So does it mean that everybody who's baptized is going to see spiritual things and grow in the spiritual life? No. They give us the capacity, but then it's our job to then nourish this and grow in this enlightenment from one step to another. And note here that it was God who gave him the capacity to see. It was God who gave him the capacity to see. It wasn't something he did on his own accord. This is why the psalmist says, in your light we see light. We can only perceive God if he allows us and permits us to see him. He is the one who initiates and invites us to be in communion with him. This is the first encounter, the second step. The third step after he healed him, uh... And it was no irony, and it was no coincidence that he told them to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And St. John makes a point here to translate for us in case we didn't understand what Siloam means. He said it's translated to mean what? Sent. Sent. You need to go, like a messenger. Um, so after the man was uh, healed, he's telling him indirectly that now I'm going to send you on a mission. I'm going to send you on a mission. If you remember the passage of the, the workers with the eleventh hour, and the Lord went and He called them at the third hour, the ninth, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and even till the eleventh hour, all those who were working, it says they were working idle in the marketplace. They weren't doing anything. But when they asked Him to go work, they went to work. As if they're waiting for an invitation of something to do. It's almost saying what, all of the things that happen in life, if I don't have a mission of being sent, then it's kind of like pointless. So this gives us a purpose and meaning in our life. When he says to him, go uh, and I have a mission for you. From the Lord himself, says, go have a mission. This gives me a purpose and a direction for my life. And this is an invitation not for the deacons or for the clergy, this is everyone. Once you go into that baptismal font and come out, you are endowed with this mission. To make the whole world and share with the whole world the Christian faith and your experiences with God. This is the mission of all of us who were baptized. John Maxwell, who's a, a, a leadership author, he says something nice. He says, life finds its meaning when you discover a purpose larger than yourself. When I have the purpose and focus of my life, something outside of me, or greater than me, greater than my ego, then we find meaning and purpose. And if we consider the two greatest commandments... Some people came and asked the Lord, what are the two greatest commandments? And he answered. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. And uh, and this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments, which of these is selfish? Neither. Neither has to do with me. The first one has to do with God, loving God. And the other has to do with what? Loving my neighbor. Neither of the two greatest commandments have to do with the me. This is the third step, to be sent. You have a mission to go out, to make a difference, to share the the Gospel with everyone. The fourth step is the maturation process, the growth. After the man was born blind, we can easily kind of look at the progression of his maturation, especially when it has to do with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning when he was first healed, The people came to him and said, How is it that your eyes were opened? And he told them, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. So how did he describe the one who opened his eyes simply as a man? And then once uh, they realized that this miracle happened and it happened to be the Sabbath, the the Pharisees found out and now they came to uh, question him. And they told him, This man isn't from God because he does something on the Sabbath. What do you say about him? And he said, He's a prophet. So he upgraded him. From just a man, now to a prophet. He's somebody greater than that. And then later, after the parents, uh, the Pharisees go and ask his family, is this really your son? And they say yes. And then they kind of abandon him and say he's of age. Let him answer for himself. They come back to the man and uh, the born blind and say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And he says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that God doesn't hear sinners. So it says, if this man were not from God, He could do nothing. So, that, what's the next progression? That this man is not only uh, simply a man, nor is he simply a prophet, but he is a man from God, because no one had ever opened the eyes of a man born blind before, and he can't be a sinner because he was a sinner, God wouldn't endow him with this kind of gift, right? So, he must be someone from God. Then we find the rest of the story. You know, he's exiled or kicked out of the temple. And while he's out there, he meets the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus asks him, do you know who the Son of God is? And he says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And he said, is he who's speaking with you? And then it says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So he went from knowing the Lord Jesus as simply a man, or a teacher, or a good person, to God himself and worshiping him. Right? This was his maturation. After baptism, And we're called to a mission to go and share our faith with everyone. There's also an obligation on our behalf to mature in our knowledge and understanding and our relationship with Him. This is why you hear in every sermon, we not have to read the Bible, we have to pray and we have to read spiritual books and we have to attend the services and listen to sermons. Why? All of this is to mature us in our spiritual life. Why? And He answers this on the Sermon of the Mountain. Because He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They want to see us maturing, and we should carry the lamp and the light of Christ with us, so the light of Christ is what radiates to those around us. This is step four. Step five is the confession and testimony. For anyone to confess, there's a bit of vulnerability. Nobody likes to go in front of a Buna and we say our sins and our weaknesses, and make ourselves feel vulnerable. Although you'll find in most intimate relationships there's a bit of vulnerability. What makes a best friend a best friend is that there's a little bit of vulnerability. What makes the difference between my wife and any other woman is the uh, the vulnerability. What makes my difference between my relationship with my father of confession and any other person is the vulnerability. Um, And we see this the man here who was born blind was able to be vulnerable. When they were asking in the beginning, you know, uh, is this not the one who sat begging? And he was blind before. Is this not the same person? And some said, This is he, and some said, He's like him, he looks like him. What is he, what, did he just kind of crawl in the corner and say, I'm just going to ignore them and let them think it's somebody else? He stood up and said, No, I am he. I'm the one who was born blind. I was the sinner. I'm the one who did so and so in the past. He accepted this vulnerability. And what did he do with this vulnerability? He used this vulnerability to preach the word of God. To share his healing, right? Whenever somebody says, Oh, you know what? I heard you did something sinful in the past. And then we deny it and make up stories. Okay, so why not accept this and say, You know what? I did do this and I was mistaken. Before I understood, this is what I did. And I shouldn't have done this. But now I know I, 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 you know, to do better and I'm not going to go back to that way of life. What's wrong with this? This will show the people that this is where I was and because of the help of the Lord, I was able to get from this place to this place. So anybody listening to this, it would give them hope. This is exactly what St. Paul did. Exactly what St. Paul did. Look what he tells his disciple Timothy. He says, This is a faithful say, saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And he's either just saying this generically. He says, no, of whom I am the chief. St. Paul, do you really believe that you are the chief of sinners? And he says, I do. Listen. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy, that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. He says, you know what I used to do? I used to grab the Christians from other countries, bring them to uh, Jerusalem to be tried, and witness to their death and stoning. That was me, St. Paul. That was me. But now, because of what Christ did with me, and the great mercy He showed me, He accepted me not only to be a believer, but to be somebody who witnesses to Him. And if He can do that with me, the worst of sinners, He can do it with you as well. This was His message. This was His message. Because of His confession and His vulnerability, He used that to preach and to share the Gospel. My beloved, we're all sinners. There's no shame in it. We're all sinners. Let's use this uh, to show God's glory and His work in our life. This is the good news. We're going out to share with the world my good news. What God did for me. How did He change my life? And in order to do that, sometimes there's a bit of vulnerability. Step six was once he uh, he made this confession and began his testimony... This is where he gets the attention of the lions, right? So Satan, when he sees us doing our own thing and minding our business and struggling, that's fine. But once we start living a repentant life and start sharing the Gospel, this catches his attention, right? So he sent, in this case, the Pharisees who went after this man. Um, and this should come to no surprise because in the book of Sirach, it warns us. And he says, My son, if you draw near to serve the Lord prepare yourself for temptation. If now you're going to go serve the Lord, prepare yourself that the enemy is not going to sit around and do nothing. You're going to find people standing up to make fun of you. You'll find people maybe posting things about you online, maybe leaving you messages on your phone or whatnot, you know? This is exactly what happened. As soon as he began to stand up for the truth, everybody came around him and even his parents said, you know what, he's our son, but he's of age, he's on his own, Right? Um expect as we witness to him, the enemy won't leave us alone. And St. Peter warns us, he says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you'll notice the work of the enemy is like this lion. The lion doesn't just pounce on anyone because he'll run out of energy and he won't catch his prey. But what's his strength is the element of surprise. To catch my prey and their weakest moment, and then I pounce on them. And this is what Satan does. He's very patient. He'll wait until we're weak, so you've finished a long day of work, and you've eaten, and you're full, and you're sitting there doing nothing, and you're bored, and now he says, this is perfect. He's tired, he's full, and he has no energy. Let's, Let's attack, right? Beware, be sober, and be vigilant. We must be ready for the enemy and the lions to attack. Step seven is the abandonment. Sometimes and maybe the more challenging times is uh, in our spiritual life as we grow and even as we share the Gospel. You'll find these moments in the midst of battle, in the midst of the lions, you'll find yourself batting the lions all by yourself. And you might even question, is God with me even in this battle? Why am I going through this battle? And this is nothing foreign to you or to me. It happened to the greatest. It happened to Jeremiah, it happened to St. Paul, it happened to Isaiah. Many of them felt this kind of feeling. Many of them. And this is why the enemy sometimes he comes and whispers in our ear. Should I have done this? Should I witness to the truth? Couldn't I just have kept silent? Was there a better way for that I could say this to avoid people coming to attack me? Should I go back and try to convince them, or should I retreat? Am I the only one who really knows? Why am I the only one speaking up? Maybe I'm wrong. Begins to doubt even the truth that you know to be true. And this is where, my beloved, I'll turn us to Psalm 12. In these moments, we must turn to him. Listen to the psalm. It's in Agbeya. Uh, it's Psalm 12 in the morning prayer. He says, How long, O Lord, do you forget me? So when you feel in this position, pray this psalm. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long do you turn your face away from me? How long do I put these counsels in my soul and these sorrows in my heart for the whole day? How long does the enemy exalt over me? Look, hearken to me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep in death. Meaning, well, lest I give in to the temptation to give up. Lest my enemies say I prevailed against him. Those who distress me will rejoice if ever I stumble. But I've hoped in your mercy; my heart will rejoice in your salvation. You see where he's turning his uh, his like uh, his feelings of giving up. He turns it to the Lord. I have hoped in your mercy; my heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will praise the Lord who has been good to me, and I will sing to the name of the Lord, Most High, hallelujah. And you know what happens after this? The last phase is the intimacy. As soon as the man born blind was outside and alone by himself, the Lord sought him out again and wanted to reveal himself to him. It says that Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? So again the Lord goes after him. Because he knows exactly what happened to him. And now he's going to give him comfort. And um, then he clearly reveals himself and he says, Lord, who is the Lord that I might believe? And he says, It is he who's speaking. And he says, I believe. And he worshiped him. How many people in the New Testament did the Lord reveal himself clearly that he is the Son of God? Not the Son of Man, the Son of God. Very few, very few times. He did it with the Samaritan woman. He did it with the blind man and then he did it at the end in front of the council of the high priest and the and uh, the, um, the sanhedrin only because he was going to be crucified afterwards. the Caiaphas asked him "Are you the son of God?" and he said it is as you say and then they of course they took him to crucify him right Very few people did he reveal himself specifically that he's the son of God and this is a level of intimacy. Why did he get there because of steps one through seven? He went through them all. He was understood. He was blind. He was. uh, uh, He had that first encounter. He understood his mission. His his mission. He grew and matured through his life. He used his weakness and his sins as a moment and uh, to confess and as a testimony. He expected and battled the lions. He faced abandonment and ultimately he saw and was able to perceive the Lord Jesus Christ. This happens to all those who suffer for the name of Christ and suffer for the truth. If you ask the three children, the three holy youth, who were thrown into the fiery furnace for witnessing to the truth, would you rather be in the fire with the Lord or outside with the king with no fire? Outside they were serving as slaves to the king, but inside they were free, singing and praising God. So I think if we asked them, which would, where would you rather be? They would say, I'd rather be in the furnace with the Lord. Because this is true freedom. These are the steps, my beloved, of the eight uh, steps of enlightenment. Let us see where we are and see how we can go. So to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.